You're listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Well, my friends, welcome back to Resurrection Life here at the end of the summer of 2022. Uh, It has certainly been a good summer for the Trice family. I trust it has for you as well. Our house has felt uh, a little bit like an airport concourse. Uh, Members of the family coming and going all summer. And, of course, that's the nature I am learning of having uh, young adult kids. They each have their own plans, different and exciting, and it all can get quite dizzying. But uh, it's my testimony that it's also great fun. And uh, most of you will know the greatest delight of the summer for us was a wedding Uh, in the family. I became a father all over again, in a certain sense, uh, a father-in-law, and uh, it couldn't have been a sweeter first step uh, into that phase of family life. But uh, summer's all but over now. Uh, It's gone by at the speed of light, roughly, and uh, we're settling into the routine of new school year. I know that is true of uh, just about all of you listening And uh, friends, I'm eager to return afresh to my Resurrection Life uh, podcasting. Uh, Thanks, by the way, for all the good feedback about the summer sermon reruns. I am aware that preaching and podcasts are not necessarily the most obvious match, but uh, I was really very glad for the opportunity to share, particularly with my Resurrection family, some of the Uh, messages from the past, um, pulpit at resurrection, uh, that have uh, profoundly shaped uh, my own perspective. Uh, But I'm returning now to fresh, made-for-podcast material, and uh, folks, I've got a lot more to share with you about the subject of bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is Christian Parenting Uh, Number 17, starting afresh uh, in that series. Uh, We left off at the beginning of the summer with a series of messages on the subject of discipline. Ephesians 6, 4 speaks of the paideia of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord Jesus. And uh, folks, I was particularly mindful in those remarks of parents of young children. That was, I'm sure, obvious. Uh, As I return to the theme of parenting this fall, I'm going to be steering uh, now increasingly in the direction of that second uh, heading, parental instruction, also in Ephesians 6, 4, the new thesia of the Lord Jesus. And as I do that, I'm going to have increasingly in mind the parenting that's called for uh, in the second decade. Uh, To be sure, both discipline and instruction uh, are things uh, that to that are in, involved in parenting the first decade and the second decade, but um, we're going to be uh, thinking increasingly of the kind of instruction that needs to extend on into uh, the teenage years uh, of our children. Today, I want to return though um, to uh, a theme I've touched on before, and that is uh, parental love. I've spoke earlier about parenting as Uh, One big, epic endeavor uh, of love. And I don't think I'll get a lot of pushback in characterizing parenting that way. Everybody recognizes love is so vital uh, a part of this parenting enterprise. 
but I want to think with you today about the kinds of love that parenting calls for. And specifically, I want to talk about the two kinds of love that we need to give to our children. Now, uh, today's podcast is called The Two Loves, and I'm talking about two distinct but utterly complementary ways in which we do, in fact, love our children and ways in which we are, in fact, loved by God as his children. But I know what some of you are already thinking. You maybe thought about it as soon as you saw the title of this podcast, The Two Loves. You know that uh, dear C.S. Lewis taught us that there's actually four loves. You may have had the title of his book by that name uh, come to your mind. And by the way, that's a delightful book, entirely worth your while in reading. I'm not actually seeking to disagree with the Don. Uh, he was doing something a little bit different than I'm planning to do today. Uh, I love, uh, in particular, the way that he characterizes different kinds of relationships uh, in our lives in the headings of those four loves. Uh, but I'm going to be considering the nature of love as God models it for us and the nature of that love as he calls us to imitate him in it. And I'd actually submit that all loves, even C.S. Lewis's four loves, could actually be reduced uh, to these two kinds of love. Here's a preview of what's ahead. As parents, uh, we love our children for two reasons. We love our children because, first, we are, by God's grace, lovers. But we also love our children because they are, also by God's grace, lovable. (laughs) Uh, In the first kind of love, the cause of our love, notice, lies within ourselves. We love our children because we're committed to loving them, no matter what they do. And in this way, uh, we are like God himself, and we are uh, able to love that way because of his grace at work in our hearts. The other kind of love, uh, the cause of our love can rightly be spoken of as lying within our children. In other words, we also love our children because in so many ways they are delightful to us, and they do things that endear themselves to us. They are this way only because of God's grace at work in their lives. It's all still of grace, and yet there's a different dynamic in that second kind of love. What I'm going to be doing in this podcast is pressing the point Folks, our children desperately need both of these loves from us. They need to be loved, and they need to be loved in both of these ways. So to make this point, I'm going to first take some time to meditate on these two loves in the heart of God for us as his children. And then we're going to reflect in the second part of our time on how practically that works out in our love for our children. So number one, let's talk about the two loves of our Father in heaven. And folks, uh, I want you to just uh, come with me uh, in a wonderful meditation on the love of God for us. It would serve its own end, even apart from a series on parenting. I think it will be a blessing to think about this. Uh, I am going to be talking about the two loves of God, and I am not coming up with something brand new <laughs> of out of my own um, uh, insight. Uh, I'm Uh, simply passing on uh, what uh, some of the great theologians of the church uh, have said in this area, and I'm particularly indebted 
uh, to Jonathan Edwards for the way he articulates these two kinds of love in God. Edwards calls the first of God's two kinds of love for us, quote, the love of benevolence. Now, when Edwards uses the word benevolence, he's trying to capture the sense of God's desire to do good to us. Why does God love us? Well, it's fundamentally because it's in his nature to desire to do good to us. God is love. It's something within himself that is the cause of his love for us. So this love of benevolence, notice, uh, it's his desire to do good to us apart from anything in us. It's the love of God that really is despite our being in ourselves rather unlovely. In fact, just the opposite, in our sin. Um, We are the opposite of lovely in his eyes. In our sin, we are uh, morally offensive and repulsive to him. But despite all of that, uh, the scripture teaches, the gospel celebrates that in love, God elects his people. He redeems his people in time. He comes and regenerates his sinful uh, elect, and he saves us from our sin. Uh, the Bible is full of uh, language uh, that speaks of this kind of love, this first kind of love in God, the love of benevolence, as Edwards speaks of it. Uh, listen, for example, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, Moses is reflecting on the fact that God uh, loved Israel apart from anything in them. He says, it was not because, this is Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, sorry. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see what Moses is doing. He's reminding God's people, these uh, Jewish um, uh, shepherds and uh, soon-to-be Bedouin shepherds, uh, he's reminding them that their place in the special love of God, the choice of God of them over all the other peoples was not Uh, We could say not as a result of their having won the beauty contest uh, of all the nations of the earth. He says, quite to the contrary, in so many ways, there are other peoples of the earth that were mightier. Uh, We might add more advanced, more uh, impressive in so many ways. But God simply set his love on you and chose you because the Lord loves you. This is that wonderful tautology. Uh, Why does the Lord love you? Because he loves you. (laughs) It's because of things in him, in his own heart. It's this wonderful, amazing, and ultimately inexplicable nature of God's love. Uh, Romans 5 uh, talks about this. In the New Testament, Paul says, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But listen, 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul is reveling in this reality that God loved us. He sent his son to die for us when he found absolutely nothing in us worthy of that love, nothing lovable in us. He loves us because he's a God of love, because he's a God full of benevolence. All right. So perhaps with just these examples, you can think of how much uh, of the Bible is devoted to assuring us of this kind of love in God. This is the love of God for us, his children, folks, that that gives us so much security, so much confidence uh, in our lives. We know that he loved us while we were still his enemies. So, He's not, now that we're his children, ever going to stop loving us, even when we displease him, uh, even when we uh, make him angry with our sins. It's the anger of a father who is fundamentally devoted to us. The psalmist says his covenant love endures forever. And, um, you know, I could say at this point, that would be good enough, don't you think? I mean, that would be a gospel enough. (laughs) If that's the only kind of love in the heart of God for us, that would be enough. But wait, (laughs) there's more. Uh, That's the first kind of love Edward speaks of in God's heart towards us. It's the love of benevolence. But here's what Edwards calls the second of God's two kinds of love for us. He calls it the love of complacency. Now, immediately... I need to say, yeah, that's a little confusing because uh, Edwards is using the word complacency, and other theologians uh, use the word complacency in a very different way than we do. It really has a kind of negative connotation uh, in our day. Uh, A complacent person uh, is someone who, you might say, just sits back and does nothing. Some kind of action is called for, but he's complacent. It's kind of like Uh, laziness or presumption of some kind. That's how we often use the word complacent. But folks, once upon a time, that word complacent had the sense of taking delight in something or someone. Uh, So here, think of the person who's sitting back, but not sitting back and doing nothing in a negative way. Think of someone sitting back and enjoying something. So, for example, they're sitting at a concert, and they're enjoying, they're delighting in the music that's coming to them, to their ears from the stage. Uh, They're in a state of complacency in the old sense of that word. That's the sense which Edwards is using it, Uh, the sense of delighting oneself in something or someone else. I think of what um, we're told in Genesis about God uh, in the creation week each day, creating something that he says at the end of the day is good. And uh, when he says that is good, you're right to think of him taking in what he has made, sort of viewing it, sitting back, if you were, and saying, I love it. I love what I've done here. This is very good. And by the way, 
Uh, he devotes a whole day to doing that. Uh, that would take me a little bit further afield from our subject here. But the Sabbath, the, the seventh day, is when Moses later in Exodus tells us God uh, rested and was refreshed. And he has in mind God simply delighting in what, he, in what he'd made in the week of creation. So that's what Edwards means by the love of complacency in God towards us or for us. This is the second reason that God loves us. It's because of what he sees in us that pleases him. Now, this too is all of grace because there would be nothing in us uh, naturally that pleases God apart from salvation, apart from all that he does to transform us uh, more and more into his image. But by his grace, we are enabled more and more uh, to die into sin and to live unto godliness. We're able to be more and more like Christ. And here's the point. In God's love of complacency, he sees in us his own handiwork. He sees in us his recreating work of fashioning a Christ-likeness in us, and he loves what he sees. He's delighted in us, who we are, and I'll say quickly, who we are becoming uh, in his saving grace. Um, This is the love of God towards us that is capable of increasing over time, more and more as we walk with him, as we love him, as we serve him and obey him and please him. So I quoted uh, a moment ago from Deuteronomy 7 to talk about the first of the two kinds of love, but notice how Deuteronomy 7 goes on to speak of God's love in these terms as well, the ones that I'm speaking of now in the terms of love of complacency. Listen to what he says, Moses says um, in verse 12, Because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, you shall be blessed above all peoples. So earlier, Moses had been reminding God's people of the past, of how God had set his love upon them apart from anything in them. That was his love of benevolence, as we're calling it. But now he's looking forward. He's looking to the future. Now that they have been set apart as his chosen people, Uh, Now that he's redeemed them from uh, uh, Pharaoh and from Egypt, uh, and he's talking about how he will love them. And here's what's uh, so important to see, that ongoing love, that future love, will be a response to their own 
uh, love of him manifested in obedience and service to him. This is that dynamic where Moses encourages God's people as you listen to what he's said to do and keep and do those uh, rules or those uh, commandments. God is going to continue to love you and he's going to show that he loves you by blessing you and multiplying you. And he's talking there about the love that God has for his people in light of how they are imperfectly to be sure, but really and sincerely uh, loving him and serving him. That's a theme in the Old Testament. It's also a theme in the New Testament. It's found in Jesus' teaching, particularly in John's gospel. Listen to these well-known words. Jesus is speaking in John 14, verse 21. Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me. So far, he's speaking of how we demonstrate our love for God. We demonstrate our love for uh, God, or specifically here, Christ, by asking ourselves, how does the one who loves me want me to live? How does he want me to live? It's his commandments, and I'll show my love to him by uh, pleasing him, by keeping his commandments. And listen now, he continues. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He goes on to say in verse 23, Jesus uh, answered, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, nothing Jesus is saying here denies the reality that he speaks of elsewhere that God comes and loves us first. (laughs) He first loves us even when we have no love for him. That's the only reason we do come to have love for him is because he first loves us uh, in all of our unloveliness. That's the love of benevolence. But here, Jesus is talking about an ongoing relationship of love with God and with our Savior And it's interesting, Jesus says, when you love me, that's going to make my Father love you. Uh, That is to say, my Father is going to be delighted in what he sees in you as you love me and keep my commandments, and he's going to love you. And he adds this, we will come to him and make our home with him. Um, You parents uh, will know Uh, Your heart goes out uh, with affection and love for people who love your kids. Isn't that true? Uh, Someone loves my son. Someone loves my daughter. They show kindness. They um, uh, sacrifice and bless my kids. Man, that makes me me love that person. And um, in a far more transcendent way, Jesus is saying, you... Love me, oh, my father's going to love you for that. He's going to, um, in, in real time, in ongoing uh, relational ways, he is going to love you for loving me. Now, folks, this second kind of love that God has for us, I submit to you, that holds the potential of, for so much of the joy uh, that is rightly ours in our ongoing 
relationship with him. I said the first kind of love provides so much security for us, confidence, God's love of benevolence, God's love of complacency towards us. Folks, this ought, awareness of this love ought to make us mindful of the fact that when we, in a daily way, serve the Lord, he is truly pleased. He's delighted. Uh, and that serving the Lord and loving him uh, is part of the way we can grow in our love relationship with God, and we can come to be more and more loved by God. Uh, he is seeing in us uh, a lot to love, again, always, because of his own grace, specifically his spirit at work in us. Now, those are the two loves that Edwards talks about in God's heart towards us as his people, his children. I have to say, I think it's this second kind of love, this thing Edwards calls the love of complacency in God's heart that many Christians have no concept of. Um, They know God in Christ Jesus loves them despite all their sins in intensely sacrificial ways, and we might add inexplicable ways. He loves us simply because he loves us. But I think, friends, I think a lot of Christians don't have any sense that God likes them. Can I put it that way? He loves me. I'm just not sure he likes me. I'm not sure that he takes pleasure in me, that he is pleased with me. If I were ever to write a book, uh, it would probably be on this particular kind of love of God for his people. I think it is so often uh, missed in the church today. John Brown uh, was a 19th century Scottish preacher and a commentator on the scriptures, and has blessed me particularly as a commentator. He's speaking of Jesus uh, in that passage I was just quoting from, where Jesus says, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father. And listen to what John Brown says. Before such men loved Christ, all you could say of the Father's love to them was he loved them because he loved them. You know now when John Brown speaks that way, he's talking about God's love of benevolence. But listen how he continues. But now he loves them for what he has himself made them to be and to do as believing, obedient lovers of his son. Now he's talking about the second kind of love, a love of complacency. He cannot but be well pleased with those who, having Christ's commandments, love him and who, loving Christ, keep his commandments. So when you hear someone say, uh, God loves me apart from anything in me, uh, friends, that's profoundly and wonderfully true. But it's also only part of the picture. Uh, God loved you when you were unlovely. But listen, his love for you is actually making you into something lovely and lovely to him. This is very vividly expressed in the Scripture by comparing, Old and New Testament do this, our relationship to God uh, to a kind of marriage. And in places like Ezekiel 16 and, for that matter, the whole book of Hosea, uh, the point is made very vividly that God loved 
us as his people, uh, despite our utterly unworthiness, our ugliness, our moral ugliness in his sight. Um, Yet, that's not the end of the story. Even though he sets his marital love on a very unworthy and ugly bride, his love is devoted to beautifying her, such that in Ephesians 5, the ending of that chapter, Paul can speak of Christ's love making the church in the last day beautiful so that he can present her to himself in all of her radiance. So here's the relevance of all these meditations on the love of God for us that comes in this, in this twofold way. Um, you and I, brothers and sisters, can experience in our relationship with God uh, what is spoken of Jesus uh, in his uh, humanity experiencing uh, in his relationship with the Father. So in Luke 2, uh, verse 52, there's an amazing statement, and uh, we may have often read it and passed over it without uh, due consideration. It, It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, here's what I think is so amazing about that. How or why could uh, Jesus increase in the favor of God? How could God more and more and more be pleased with Jesus uh, and be favorable towards Jesus? Well, the answer to that is in his a humanity, his son, as he grew and lived day by day, the longer he did so, the longer he perfectly served and pleased his father. Folks, that passage is saying it's the more, the more he did it, the more his father's heart was endeared to him, the more he loved him in that second kind of love. You remember how he puts that in Jesus' baptism, uh, where the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove upon our Savior, and the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, the same thing happens in our own relationship with God. Uh, He loves us despite our sinfulness, love of benevolence. And yet the longer we pursue relationship with God, the closer we get to Him, the dearer we become to God. The more we love our Father in heaven, the more he delights in us. I'll quote one more Scotsman. Uh, This is an even older Scottish theologian. It's uh, Samuel Rutherford, and he's speaking of these two loves when he says, Our own good works cannot make our Lord love us less or more with the love of eternal election. Uh, He's speaking there of that first of the two loves, electing love, uh, places God, God places his love in us apart from anything in us. He says, our own good works cannot make our Lord love us less or more with the love of eternal election, but they, our good works are pleasing him, may make God love us more with the love of complacency and a sweeter manifestation of God in the fruits and gracious effects of his love. Rather to speaking of these two kinds of love, You might uh, call them his love of election uh, or his love of benevolence. You might call it his love of devotion, if that is easier for you. 
And then this second kind of love, his love of covenant, his love of complacency, or perhaps you'd prefer the word just his love of delight. One kind of love is fixed and unchanging. God is devoted to us in love because he's a lover. The other is a growing thing. God is delighted in us in love because he's making us more and more lovely. I'm about to wrap up this meditation on the love of God. I hope it's been profitable. Let me just say one more time, I think uh, this second kind of love is particularly what is missing in many people's understanding of God and their relationship with God. I had someone say to me, "Uh, Pastor, I know God loves me, but I have a hard time believing that he's pleased with me. I can't imagine him, in other words, liking me very much. And I think this comes from failing to see that there are two loves in God's fatherly heart towards us. And the good news, it's this good, folks, is that it's both. He's devoted to you despite your sins and failures. He's also delighted with you as you sincerely seek to please him more and more. That's how good the good news is. Now, I've taken some time. Uh, to describe these two loves of God uh, for us. And uh, maybe I've gotten to the end of your workout or your commute to work. And uh, indeed, this would be a good place to put a bookmark, or is it a pod mark in this case, Uh, and just pick up listening tomorrow. Uh, But here's where I want to go now. Uh, The two loves that I've just been describing in God's heart, well, they're vital for all of us. Uh, in understanding God and our relationship to him. But folks, I've been actually saying all this in order to come to this point to say this to my fellow parents. Folks, your children need both of these loves from you in your parenting. That's what I want to talk about now. The two loves of parents. So the first thing I'll point out, is that you actually can see these two kinds of love in parents of all kinds, uh, not just in Christian parents. Uh, Let me just say all parental love, if it's real love, is the result of God's grace at work in this world. And um, this is one of the most conspicuous evidences, I think I've already had occasion to remark on this, of his common grace. In other words, God is graciously at work keeping men and women from being as evil as their hearts would otherwise be and actually um, prodding them and promoting in them a kind of goodness. And we see it in our, uh, we see it all around us in, in families. So, for example, we see this love of devotion or benevolence. In parents everywhere, you see moms and dads making all kinds of life-changing sacrifices when the newborn comes into their home and is uh, absolutely dripping with neediness. (laughs) Uh, Parents, uh, uh, broadly, uh, give their time, their resources to children, and often we see it uh, in parents who don't have particularly grateful children. Their children seem to be very unworthy of all this sacrifice. Uh, You can see perhaps most poignantly, even in parents that are not Christians, uh, a continued devotion to children who nonetheless break their hearts. Uh, Parents who continue to love children uh, who are uh, unloving in response. And folks, 
This is, and by God's common grace, uh, evidences of this love of benevolence, parents loving children because they are lovers. Um, It's because, I won't say it's in their nature, uh, but by God's grace, uh, they do have this uh, in themselves, devotion to their children. There's this uh, rather uh, unpleasant insult that uh, you've perhaps heard. Uh, Someone says, uh, oh, uh, he's got a face only a mother could love. And I hope that none of you actually use that expression. But you know what's being spoken of in that, a face only a mother could love? What is that? Well, it's a reference to the fact that that son or daughter, old or young, uh, is not particularly beautiful. They're not going to um, uh, spark or or provoke love, love of complacency, uh, as we defined it. Uh, But a mother's going to love, no matter how ugly a child is, because, well, mothers are lovers. Um, They love their baby. They love their toddler. They love their teenager. They love parents are capable of love of benevolence. We see it everywhere. And we also see this love of complacency or this love of delight in parents everywhere. We see, as we've talked about, parents who are just utterly taken with their newborns. They are so adorable. And indeed, our children in their infancy are so adorable. There's something lovely about them. Uh, We're proud of them as they have these emerging personalities and little intellects and uh, wits and all the rest. And the day comes when we have strapping young men and beautiful young women and parents everywhere, not just Christians, have a love of their children of this second kind, a love of delight. They have, they see in their children lots to love. Uh, You hear a a father say, uh, in so many words, that's my boy. He is expressing this second kind of love. He is taking pleasure in what he sees in his son. So the two loves uh, that I've been talking about are, are the two loves that can be seen in all kinds of parenting. But now you're ready for me to, to say what, well, you know what I'm going to say. Folks, these two kinds of love should, of, in, of all people, be on spectacular display in those men and women who are, as parents, also loved by God in those two ways. Christians, Christian parents, uh, who've had the love of God shed abroad in their hearts, as Paul puts it, uh, should be full of these two kinds of love uh, to others, and in particular, in this case, uh, to their children. By the way, I think that's exactly what the prophet Malachi is talking about in the final words of the Old Testament. He's talking there in Malachi 4 of the blessings of the coming of the Messiah and the new covenant that he will inaugurate. And here's what he says, last words of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Once upon a time, I preached a sermon on that passage that I entitled, The Power 
of parental delight. And of course, I was interested in that expression, turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. That is an expression, obviously, of love, of delight, of intimate relationship. And it is so important that Malachi uh, sees that relationship of love between parents and children as critical to the purposes of redemption uh, in the New Covenant. What's the opposite of parents whose hearts are turned to their children? Well, it's parents who don't love their children, who neglect their children, who do not delight in their children, and conversely, children who don't love their parents, who don't respect them or listen to them. Uh, Of course, with my covenantal perspective on parenting, I love those words, uh, last words of the Old Testament, because the salvation that the Messiah is going to bring in the new covenant is a salvation that has everything to do with this nurture of children. Salvation for our children will continue to come by God's grace through this parent-child relationship and specifically the love of parents for their children. That's why um, biblical parenting is a pursuit of a love relationship. As all that, in life, um, notwithstanding everything I've been saying, brothers and sisters, about uh, certain wise principles that should be carried out in our homes, particularly in the discipline of our children, this podcast is all about emphasizing that discipline and instruction must be given in the context of devotion and delight, the two loves that parents are to have for their children. Uh, So when our children are deeply loved by us, um, the response by God's grace is not only that they're drawn to love us back in return, but they're also, listen, they're also drawn by God's grace to love the one we love, uh, the Lord Jesus. That's why it's such a normal thing for our children to grow up loving Christ with their whole, whole hearts. It's because they've grown up loving us as their parents who ourselves are in love with him. And uh, I think that's what explains Malachi's words about the success of the new covenant coming as the relationship between parents and children become uh, more profoundly one of love. God's intertwined our relationship with our children with his relationship with our children. So how do we secure our children's love for the Lord? We do it most fundamentally by securing their love for us. As they love us, uh, they will, by God's grace, uh, love the one we love. I think that's what lies behind those words of Malachi. So let me take just a few more minutes uh, to give you some practical observations about these two loves uh, in your home, in your um in your Christian parenting, um, these two loves are to be the warp and the woof uh, of your whole, uh, the whole culture of your home. So the first thing I want to say practically is your children need to know that you will love them no matter what. That's what they need to grow up being utterly persuaded of, taking as an absolute given in their life. They need to know that you will love them no matter what. They need to know that you will love them even when they are bad. They need to know that your sin, pardon me, their sins are not threats to that love. They need that security. 
And of course, you know I'm speaking of that first kind of love, that love of devotion or of benevolence. Uh, Folks, there are going to be times it sometimes feels like it's even a little season in parenting where the first love is seemingly the main thing. It's the gear you're running in. Um, You're in a cycle of exhaustion. Uh, The children are in patterns of sin. Um, Why are you going to love your children? Because you're lovers, by God's grace, because of something he's done in you, in your heart. Folks, this is the the way you love your children as you discipline them. They've not done something in that moment that's pleasing to you. It's just the opposite. They've done something that's displeasing to you, and yet you can discipline, you can spank indeed and must in love. We're talking about the first of these two loves. You're doing things for your children They may not see the blessing of those things. They may not see the good of those things. But you're doing those things because you are devoted to doing good for them. So parents, don't demand of your children lovableness in order for you to love them. What an anti-Christian thing to do. Uh, They should love you because you first loved them. Does that sound familiar? They should be loved by you unconditionally. That's how we often say, uh, speak about this first kind of love. And this um, leads me to make the observation uh, that in order for your children to know that you love them no matter what, in order for you to have that kind of love for them, you are going to have to have an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus himself because he's the source of that kind of love. That's miracle love. (laughs) That's um, the kind of love that's utterly inexplicable on its full Christian forms, apart from uh, being on the receiving end of the love of Christ. I think that's why Paul uh, prays for the Ephesians, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love, having strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with with all the fullness of God. So the only way you're going to be to love your children, no matter what, is, parents, if you're filled with that love by God himself, uh, by being continually reminded of your Savior's love, despite all that is, frankly, unlovable about you. Uh, This is foundational to our love for our children. Um, And that's why, uh, as I touched on earlier, uh, as Christian parents, Uh, We are most in need of cultivating our own love relationship with Christ in order to be lovers of our children. That's alone what enables us uh, to love those who many a time, many a day, maybe even for a season, are not particularly lovable in themselves. Everything I've just been saying would apply to our marriages and our friendships and all the rest, but I'm talking, of course, right now about loving our children. The second thing I want to say practically with that second love in mind is your children need to know that you see a lot in them to love. They also need to have that kind of love. They need to know that you see in them when they seek to please you, when they are obedient, when they are uh, truly loving you, and you take 
delight in that, just as your Father in heaven takes delight in what he sees in you. I think there are Christians uh, who've grown up under, we could say, very devoted Christian parents. They're very thankful as they look back on that uh, service of their parents for sacrificial, untiring love for them. But some of these same Christians, uh, I think, have the testimony that though they would acknowledge their parents were good parents, they were never really close to them. Their testimony is something like, they loved me, I know that, but they didn't really seem to want to spend time with me. They didn't really seem to take delight in fellowship with me. And folks, whether they know it or not, uh, they're talking about that second kind of love, that love of delight, love of complacency, as our fathers would put it. And friends, I want to say that that kind of love, too, needs to be cultivated. Children need not just the security of knowing that dad will always be there for them, always will provide, will love them no matter what. Folks, they also need this relational sense that God, sorry, (laughs) that dad is pleased with them and enjoys being with them. Uh, So this is the kind of uh, intentional love that makes you aware when your children have sincerely sought to please you. Parents, I beg you, when when your children, young or old, have done those things that uh, are in just a sort of naked way obedient to you or in those creative and going beyond, going the extra mile ways of pleasing you, please take note Allow yourself to see what in your son or daughter is so delightful. Proverbs 23, 24, listen to this love of delight, this second kind of love. The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. This is a father who's blessed with an obedient child, a righteous child, a wise son, and it registers in him, in his heart, uh, with gladness. And that's a son, I could put it this way, that's a son who's growing up knowing my dad is pleased with me, my dad likes what he sees in me, my dad finds a lot to love in me. That's the kind of love that you're cultivating when you pursue a times of just a fellowship with your sons and your daughters, times at the dinner table when you are intentional about putting aside the distractions on your mind and you just are enjoying what you're seeing in your children. Uh, It's the love that is expressed when you uh, are there watching and and after a a game um, uh, praising your son or your daughter for how they did, what they did in the game. I remember um, many a... a Saturday working with my dad, uh, and my growing desire to be a good helper and to be a pleasant, a, a pleasure to him in that work, and having the the many a Saturday evening uh, where I just I was just aware of how pleased he was uh, after a day of working with me. Parents, when your children are young, uh, that might look like. Uh, making of silly games to play with them 
uh, just to draw out from them the things that are delightful and that will delight your heart. It looks like stopping when they say, watch me, Daddy, uh, ready to see something that you are willing and eager uh, to be delighted by. When they are older, uh, it certainly means looking for ways to develop a relationship with them, uh, to have in your uh, ongoing relationship with your son, with your daughter, uh, many things that you take delight in. This is elementary, again, to every real relationship of love pursuing those things that enable the two people in that love relationship uh, to delight in each other. I'm amazed at how much the love of devotion, that first love, can eventually be shrugged off by kids. I've seen it. It's almost as if kids can, uh, in their sinfulness, apart from the grace of God, sort of think, yeah, it's parents' job to love me and And they can shrug off that love. But I think, friends, it's harder for our kids to shrug off that second kind of love, the love of delight that seeks to build relationship. I love my 18-year-old son uh, now more than I did when he was first born. That love that I set upon him because he's my son. That's been a fixed and unchanging thing in all of uh, those 18 years. But over those 18 years, there's something that's happened. He's endeared himself to me more and more in countless ways. There's so much more in him to love. So it is. Our relationship with our Father in heaven in that second kind of love. Well, let me conclude in these um, substantial reflections, I'm aware, on parental love uh, by uh, uh, encouraging uh, those of you who are listening. I want to say, lastly, practically, that parental love of this kind covers a multitude of parental sins. Now, I'm sure all this talk about love is convicting. It should be. I have. Myself, a keen sense of failure in this area of love. In fact, all my senses of failure as a parent uh, really default back to this, uh, failures of love. Uh, In the moment, I didn't have it in me as a dad to love my children despite their unloveliness. In the moment, I didn't have, on the other hand, eyes to see in them what's truly lovable uh, and delightful. I missed opportunities to sacrifice and to give. And I missed opportunities uh, to take delight in my children. I, I and we, um, in the uh, conviction of sin that can come in this area, we need to pray the promise of Malachi. Jesus, Messiah, turn my heart to my children in love. I, I recognize that all this talk about love uh, is rightly and properly convicting to us as parents, but friends, I want to say this to you, my fellow Christian parents, I am confident that you can say, despite all your failures, by the grace of God, I love my children. I'm confident you can say that. I'm confident you can see in your heart these two loves for your children. And I'm confident your children see it in you. They see your devotion to them. They see your delight in them. 
And here's my encouragement. I'm using the language of Peter in his first letter where he says, Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Parents, uh, you will indeed sin against your children in countless ways. We have spoken of that before. But if you truly love them, you will not find it, sorry, they will not find it hard to forgive you. Indeed, your love for them will cover big piles of sin. True love does that. This is amazing to me, how forgiving children can be of the sins of parents who truly do love them. When you go to your children with an apology for something you've done, something you've not done, and they say, it's okay, Daddy. That's, of course, grace in their hearts, but it's also grace in the relationship. It's grace in your heart uh, as you have been lovers of them, true lovers of them. And let me say this. uh, This podcast series is... uh, representing um, some dedication on my part to laying out principles of biblical wisdom for parents. Um, I am mindful of how many parents um, don't have these principles to guide them, and it's to their great disadvantage. Uh, That's the, the big picture of this podcast. But let me say this. Parents who are devoted to their children and parents who are delighted in their children are going to have parenting that God blesses, even apart from all the tips and tricks of the trade, all, even apart from all the uh, wisdom of the scriptures, as important as that is. Um, love is the foundational thing. It's the main thing. Um, Christian parenting uh, thrives most in this matrix of a true love relationship between parents and their children. The Beatles were not quite right when they sang, all you need is love. But the Apostle Paul would say, per 1 Corinthians 13, if you have love, parents, if you have the love for your children that your own Father in heaven has for you, well, you have the most important thing. So be encouraged. Well, that returns us then to this theme of Christian parenting, and uh, we will return, Lord willing, in the weeks to come. Uh, But I'll sign off again today. Brothers and sisters, take heart, take heart. Christ is risen. You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.